0: This episode of Women on the Rise is sponsored by The Riveter, a work and collaborative space built for changemakers. Stay tuned to the end for more information about how you can join The Riveter's movement for women and allies to succeed.
1: If I go and take a break, my to-do list doesn't change when I come back, but how I relate to it changes.
0: Welcome to Women on the Rise. I'm your host, Lara Dolch, and each week I talk to thriving women about the practical self-care strategies they use to fuel their success and pursue what's most important to them in their careers and lives. We get real about topics like healthy eating, exercise, sleep, stress, time management, happiness, and productivity, while busting myths about work-life balance and being perfect along the way. My goal each week is to uncover a new insight or practical strategy that you can immediately apply to your life to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul without turning your life upside down. Today I'm excited to welcome Minhai Alex to the podcast. Minhai is founder of Mindful Nutrition here in Seattle, mama to two beautiful young boys, a dear friend, and one of my go-to people for insightful conversations about personal development, psychology, and really good food. In fact, she happens to have gifted me two of my favorite cookbooks. Minhai and I met several years ago when we were panelists at a women's health event and became fast friends not only because of our shared philosophy of wellness and health and eating but because Minhai is seriously one of the funniest people I know. (laughs) (laughs) That is my favorite compliment. Thank you. It is. You are. You're super funny and I thank you so much for being here. You're one of those people who like I feel like you'll say something and it'll be like totally unexpected. And like, how did that come out of her mouth? <laughs> it's like, anyway, so I, yeah, you're totally one of the funniest people I know. And I'm so glad they're here. And why don't we just start with, um, I would love to give, give listeners just a little bit of perspective about um, you and sort of your business and, and mindful nutrition and kind of what it's all about. Cause I think that's helpful to frame it. Um, so maybe we could start there.
1: Sounds good. Yeah. I think what it's all about. It's always evolving because as I evolve, basically helping people to not have food be a big stress and worry in their lives. Yeah, A lot of my clients have been through tons of dieting and I do specialize in disordered eating too, but mostly helping people to not stress about food and, and to find joy in it again and to trust themselves again.
0: Yeah. That's so great. And this is exactly why you and I connect so much. I'm curious though, because you know, you combined your sort of more conventional background in dietetics and nutrition with a holistic approach that is taught at Bastyr University. So you have your undergraduate in in dietetics and nutrition, and then a master's in nutrition and counseling from Bastyr, which for those who don't know, Bastyr is one of the top naturopathic medicine schools in the, well, in the world, really. Um, Why was that combination so important to you?
1: Um, so how I came into just dietetics in general, um, so growing up in the restaurant industry, you know, my mom owns randomly New York Jewish style delis in Dallas, Texas as a Vietnamese Catholic woman, <laughs> <laughs> which I love, <laughs> but, um, I remember walking down the hall with a friend in eighth grade and we're talking about, what does your mom do? What did your mom do? And she's like, my mom's a dietitian. I'm like, what's that? She's like, oh, she helps people eat. And, you know, wait, is that job nine to five? <laughs> you can talk about food, but you don't, don't have, have food to, all day. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to, like, have these employees that are driving you crazy. just <laughs> out and coming home at 9.30 or 10 p.m. And, you know, like, I want that job. And then after I graduated from my undergrad in Texas, I got my first job was in the health food industry, and I was doing some research in that area and worked at the start a vitamin company, and that's what led me to Bastyr, just reading all these articles and books by Bastyr
0: alumni. What was it that interested you about that, though? Like, what was it about their approach that was different from... The more traditional approach that was like, "Huh, I want to, I want to dig into that."
1: Yeah, and I think the field of dietetics has changed since. But I mean, I didn't get any information about supplements or even the whole foods philosophy, which makes Best Year's nutrition program unique. Mm-hmm. Right now I think the field is more open to it, and interestingly, now I've lost interest in supplements. <laughs> um, that's how it goes. So what brought me to Best Year of um, that whole world because I was really drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, yeah, I was like taking grapeseed oil and I don't know, like, <laughs> all of it alpha lipoic acid and <laughs> you know, it was multivitamins that are like eight pills a day. Like I'm not doing any of that anymore. Um, so that brought me to last year. And since then, my uh, passion and interest has also moved on from that. And yeah. I think there's a role for that, but it's, you know, now um just looking at people's overall well-being and you're not going to necessarily find that at you know super supplements
0: yeah i actually love that you brought that up because i don't think that we've ever talked about supplements in particular even though i know you had a background on that but like what i love about that is the and this is a yet another reason that we're that we're you know kindred spirits is because the practicality of it like it's sort of like you know how many freaking pills can you consume in a day and it just sort of becomes like a chore at some point, just like any other kind of, you know, restrictive type of, you know, regimented, I guess, r- rather, you know, diet or whatever. It's the same, the same thing with that kind of stuff, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. And something I'm realizing recently is um, we all have our ways of like getting through life mm-hmm. and we think like, if I got this down, then I'm okay. And, Cause there's just so much uncertainty and so much vulnerability in life. Um, for me, parenthood has been like the single most like brought me to my knees kind of thing. Yeah, I bet. Uh, So something that I find soothing is obsessing about their sleep. (laughs) So I'll just, when I feel uncomfortable, I like pull out my copy of The Happy Sleeper. I'm like, okay, I've got this. I've got got it. You know, I've got life under control. And I think for some people, it might be if they take all the right supplements, they've got this.
0: Yes.
1: Or their diet is perfect. They've got this. You know, so we all have our things of, okay, if I get this, then I'm in control. And it's all an illusion in a way. Totally.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: There's a couple things to it, but it's, that's
0: where I stand. Yeah, no, I love that. And so, what would you, so that's really interesting because I think that a lot of the um, women listening to this, and certainly some of the women that I work with, and, uh, you know, fall into that trap. So, when you, with your clients, for example, or maybe even just friends or whatever, like, what do you tell them to help them kind of pull out of that space of trying to kind of control? Um, things that really aren't necessarily under their control when it comes to food.
1: I think, well, first, like, I feel you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, And second, yeah, asking questions that get some thinking. Like what? Well, give me an example of something that somebody might... Well,
0: yeah. So actually, okay, so for a woman who, and this is something that comes up, um, with women who come to me, for example, where they've tried, you know, all of these different diets over the years and um, are still struggling with their weight like it because they're so restrictive that they can't kind of keep up with them and they had results. And it's a very common story, I think. So how would you counsel someone in that situation where they've tried everything, they can't stay with anything because it's so restrictive? Like, how do you, how do you help them see that perhaps... Loosening is actually the answer, or if, if in fact that's what you would say to them, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I
1: think it's really important to help them see the harms of dieting,
0: mm-hmm. and the
1: research is just so overwhelming. There's no question yeah. that um, diets, even quote sensible diets, anything where you're following rules about right. rather than listening to your body, leads to food preoccupation leads to more body distress, actually leads to more um, weight within Mm -hmm. one to five years. I mean, the vast majority actually gain more than they lose. And so just, yeah, taking a a diet history where maybe sometimes you take, you know, a step back and look at the whole picture uh, that can bring some perspective. Um, And then also questioning the story that, you know, some people have around diets that worked, like uh, Mm. explaining how, there's a diet honeymoon. Yes.
0: That's so great. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, it did it did work at some point, right? Which is why they keep trying it. It
1: is so seductive. It works so well. It seems seductive and that they felt a sense of feeling in control. Um, they did lose weight. Mm-hmm. And that diet honeymoon is not sustainable. That's part of the diet cycle. Mm-hmm. And so there. you know, sometimes people are telling themselves the story of it worked because of that diet honeymoon period, and they don't realize that just biologically that's not sustainable.
0: I love that idea of the diet honeymoon, that's a, a different frame that I hadn't ever thought of before. I love that language. I think that's really, because I think that that probably resonates with with a lot of people to think of it that way, for sure. I coach powerful women on the rise every day. And one thing I see us all do is get in our own way sometimes. Especially when it comes to eating healthier, exercising more, getting more sleep, and kicking the habits that make us feel less than powerful. And here's the rub. We often know we're doing it. We might even know why. What we don't know is what to do about it and how to fit that what into our already overbooked lives. That's why I created my free Get Out of Your Own Way Guide and online workshop. Give me 20 minutes and I'll show you exactly how to stop sabotaging your goals to eat healthier, exercise more, get more sleep, and kick the habits that have gotten you out of shape and out of sorts. So you can wake up every day feeling on fire for your life and have the vibrant, healthy, and confident career and life you really want. To get your free copy, visit LaraDolch.com slash free guide. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, and I wish I had written down the exact phrase that you used, but you mentioned earlier something about coming to this place of like, what is wellness at this point in your life? Self-care, how I think about it at this point in my life. Yeah. How do you define wellness or self-care or both at this point in your life? And how is that different from how you might've defined it prior to becoming a parent, since you mentioned that as a a recent kind of milestone for you?
1: Yeah. Now I think of and I think the word health even, unfortunately, has baggage to it.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Well, there's almost like this morality to it.
0: Mm, oh uh, my gosh. Yeah. There's a right way
1: of eating. There's a right way of exercising. It's about being good. It's about doing these health behaviors. and Yes. One set that is right for everybody.
0: I'm sure it resonates with people to hear that and to hear that you don't um, have to be Perfect. No in those ways.
1: And so now I think I think the word well being just resonates more for me. And even when I think about health per se, I think that mental health and physical health are equally important. Yeah. So that's a shift, I think now.
0: Mm, Whereas before you maybe put more of the weight on physical health, you mean?
1: Yeah. Where mental health might not have been on my radar as much. Mm,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: And just in terms of mind-body wellness, realizing that there's really no clear separation between mind and body. Yeah, There's this just continuous feedback loop between the two. So anything that helps the mind helps the body. Anything that helps the body helps the mind. I'm just seeing it as one. Really.
0: Yeah. Where do you think that kind of shift happened for you? What was the, the turning point if there was one? <laughs>
1: Uh, no, well, I think learning more about health at every size, that movement, um, mm-hmm. been a turning point and, and then learning about all the science and research behind self-compassion
0: mm-hmm.
1: and honestly realizing what a limited role in a way nutrition has
0: mm, <laughs> well-being. Yeah,
1: well-being. <laughs> it's humbling for a dietitian to admit that.
0: Yeah.
1: There's a paradox, right? I'm realizing there's like just paradoxes about everything. So yeah, if you are deficient in vitamin D, that is profound. It will severely impact your quality of life. Yeah. have scurvy, you
0: know. Not (laughs) Not something anyone wants.
1: Yeah. You probably will want some vitamin C immediately rather than, you know, (laughs) talking about your mental health. (laughs) So
0: it is profoundly
1: important nutrition, and it's just one of many pieces. Yeah, and just realizing, learning about the profound importance of relationships in our life, for instance, on our well being and our longevity. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. about the Harvard Grant Study that's like seventy five years running, and and granted, they mostly looked at like white men, um, but <laughs> so there's a, a limitation. Now they're interviewing the the um, Women, as well, in the study of the spouses. But um, one thing came up time and time again of what predicted longevity and health, and that was the quality of their relationships.
0: Yeah.
1: It wasn't, you know, did they do paleo or did yeah. they are vegetarian or vegan? Or, you know, so that was very
0: clear. It's so great to have research like that to back up what we sort of know intuitively, you know, that we've like lost touch with, but that you know, and some of us need, sadly need that like research to remind us that there is, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like in, in, in my work, it's, you know, I sort of refer, I mean, I'm not the only one to call it the circle of life, right? It's like all these different pie pieces in your circle and they're Mm -hmm. all relevant. And to your point, nutrition is just one piece of that.
1: Yeah. And even taking something like weight, the harm, it's not like having the, quote, excess weight, right? It's the stigma that someone suffers because of it that mm-hmm. can really impact their well-being and their health.
0: Yeah, the sort of social side of it, as it yes. were. Mm-hmm. Totally. This, I love talking to you. We always have the best conversations. I can't even wait for people to hear this. What's your biggest struggle with mm-hmm. self-care, well-being, again, however we're defining it right now? And how do you handle that?
1: Yeah, it's a constant struggle and how I handle it goes up and down. <laughs> I think uh, a common struggle for me is the if-then mentality. So I can't go to that yoga class or I can't do that until I do this, until the dishes are done, until you know I take care of this, until the house is not a mess. And so, yeah, feeling like I need to check off more things on
0: to-do list before I take that break. Like you have to earn it or something. Yeah. Sort of. Um,
1: it's less about earning it, I think, and more about telling myself a story that I can't relax if those things are not done. I see. That it would actually be better for my well-being if those things are done. That might be true sometimes, but <laughs> 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 which is why this is so hard. Right? Yeah. And I'm also trying to remind myself that, um, yes, if I go and take a break, that my to-do list doesn't change when I come back, but how I relate to it changes.
0: Mm. Say more about that. What do you mean? Once...
1: I can get into my body or sometimes it's so like embarrassingly easy (laughs) how little it takes to feel better. Um, But, you know, that could be taking a walk and listening to a podcast or music or going to that yoga class or even just popping downstairs, shutting the door and um, doing like 15 minutes of yoga and just like 10 minutes of meditation like that is like game changer, right? Yeah. Doesn't have to be big, and it doesn't even necessarily need to involve leaving the house. But once I can get into my body and just feel better on a physical level, it gives me more perspective, right? Yeah. If my body's tense and I'm stressed out, uh, I I lose perspective. The dishes feel like an emergency when really they're not.
0: Yeah, I love that, and I love the reminder too that it doesn't have to be a big production. I mean, you know, it's this morning I had a similar experience where I was like, I just need to stretch for a few minutes. Like, and that's kind of all I did. And it, yeah, it was, it was a total game changer for my morning and the perspective, as you said, and and just being able to focus on what needed to be focused on. And it took me less than five minutes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Something else that's a barrier too. And I'm wondering if the other, I know I can't be the only mom, um, <laughs> I with this, and that's, well, especially moms married to fathers, <laughs> um, notice how, and I hate to stereotype, but there's actually research that backs this up. Notice how your husband doesn't hesitate to claim his time.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm looking
1: at my husband in equal parts awe and annoyance. And like, <laughs> I, need to I need to, you know is usually a workout for him or, or something for his sanity and when can I make that happen? Yeah. And and I'm I feel myself protective of his time too because I know he's actually a lot more pleasant to be around. Sure. Get that workout just like, you know, I'm sure the same applies to me if I get my time. But you know, our son, because I have obsessed about this, sleeps very well.
0: <laughs> Yay.
1: <laughs> our oldest son. Um, and he will take uh, typically a three hour nap. At home uh, when he's not at daycare, and so there was a period where my husband was taking up that nap time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to work out. Oh, something else that he says he needs—he needs his nap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't we all? Wouldn't we all be better people if we could take naps in the middle of the day? <laughs> so he needs to work
1: out. He needs his nap. He needs a shower. I'm like, okay, we'll make that happen. And then it took a while for me to be like, wait a minute, why don't we split that nap? yeah (laughs) right and just noticing the hesitation and and doing that you know and being like oh no it's okay you go ahead you know and I know intellectually the importance of me taking that time and and my own self-care but I think I might have told you this in one of our past conversations I literally feel the weight of like Ancestors from thousands of years past pulling on me and be like, No, you will not take that time. Wow. <laughs> like yeah. Of women.
0: Right. Right.
1: That we need to be martyrs and it just doesn't benefit anybody.
0: Yeah. That we need to take care of everyone else first. Yeah. So, so how do we shift that, do you think? Hmm.
1: Well, I think, well, one, I, Heard a recent definition of martyr that I love, and that's a victim who feels proud.
0: Mm, yes. Oh, you know, my goodness. That's so back. good.
1: <laughs> it's like, well, I still get to bitch because I didn't take that nap because right. I do all that. So <laughs> I'm allowed to my crankiness, you know? Right. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. But one way to shift it, I think, is I know you've heard of the whole oxygen mask on a plane.
0: You know? Sure. Yeah. Putting the oxygen mask on yourself first. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. It's not really landing with a lot of moms in my opinion, because it is true, <laughs> right? That really is a role on the plane. they're not just trying to be nice. Um, <laughs> but I think we can get in a circular argument in our heads about whose needs comes first. Yeah. And I don't think that's really helpful kind of thinking about who should come first. Mm-hmm. And so I think a different lens Is to look at how our needs are interconnected. Mm. So yeah, their well being does impact our well being, and hers does theirs. Yeah, definitely. And thinking about recently, I was thinking about uh, babysitters, Mm -hmm. and you know, just trying to line one up and. I remember thinking about one who was lovely, but thinking, "Oh man, she is so sleep deprived." She talked about like falling asleep at the wheel, like potentially, you know. Wow. The, yeah. You know, really um, needs some rest, and and that made me hesitate in calling her. And I was like, I want somebody who's energetic, who is you know taking care of themselves, who can come to this job with patience. And I was like, wait, why do I have higher expectations of a babysitter than of myself as a mother? Mm-hmm. Right. So if I could mm-hmm. hire out somebody to take care of my kids, you know, how would I want that person to be? So I think recognizing our baggage around the, the whole mother stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and I love that reframe about, about the fact that our needs are interconnected. It's not about who gets first priority. That's a really, because I do think there is this guilt that comes up for a lot of women. And I imagine, especially for mothers, when you're like, you know, well, I'm going to put myself first. That makes me a terrible mother or something like, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the interconnectivity and and just as you, the babysitter story is perfect. It's like, she wasn't able to show up for her um, for her job, for her life in a mm-hmm. full and in this case, safe way. <laughs> right. Because she wasn't taking care of herself. Yeah. And the same is true of of all of us, whether, you know, whether our job is, taking care of other people and Mm -hmm. putting them in jeopardy because we're not well, or just being able to um, achieve, you know, our goals for, you know, whatever our, you know, job, career, function, role is in life. It's the same, the same thing. Um, And, and our needs being interconnected to the people who we um, interact with every day and and who we support in whatever way.
1: Right. And, And instead of thinking, okay, whose needs comes first, just putting yourself on the list.
0: Right. Yeah, that's so funny that you said that. I actually had a client the other day who said the same thing. She's like, you know what, for the first time, I'm actually on my list now. <laughs> and I'm like, yay.
1: <laughs> exactly. And something else I read recently that really resonated with me. And I'm so relieved I don't have daughters because, <laughs> <laughs> because it probably would bring up my my um crap a lot in terms of, you know, what am I modeling constantly? Yeah. Um, not that that's not important now, but she said, you know, when your kids are very young, how you take care of them teaches them about self-care, about how they should take care of. And as they get a little older, how you take care of yourself teaches them more about self-care.
0: Wow. Yeah. So the modeling behavior there, regardless of gender, I would guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then teaching them what it's like to be in a relationship where everybody's needs matter. Yeah. What am I teaching my kids if their memory of me is I'm on the sidelines of their life?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And sort of like I'm thinking when you say that, what comes—the image that comes into my head—is this sort of like family unit where you're all interconnected and you're all supporting each other and you're all sort of flowing in this like you know circle or whatever. It actually gives me chills thinking about that because wouldn't that be great if it was always working that way?
1: Yeah, and you want all those units in that circle to be healthy and well on their own right and together.
0: I love that. So is there a, a self-care decision that you made or something that you do often, maybe every day, that has sort of disproportionately affected your sense of well-being in a, in a positive way? Something that you've done or that you do regularly that surprisingly you know, changes things in a huge way that you wouldn't have anticipated?
1: I think the two that come to mind are sleep and meditation. It's probably not very exciting answers, but
0: no, I would actually put the same. That's funny that you say that because I was having this conversation, a similar conversation in um, a group of entrepreneurs recently, and I think one of them was asking like, how do you stay balanced during like busy, you know, I'm launching a new program kinds of times? And I said, you know, go back to basics. Like, what are your non negotiables? And for me, yeah, sleep and meditation were the top two. Absolutely, absolutely. So I don't think that's boring at all. It just it's 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 your answer. <laughs> That's not boring. Yeah, the
1: sleep is profound. And there's a big difference between like, you know, one night of crappy sleep versus like chronic sleep deprivation where you're short, um, which as researchers have equated that to drunk driving in terms of your brain function. Yeah. Um, And yeah, just thinking about sleep as, you know, not just for the body, but it's really for the brain.
0: And especially for, you know, people that are sort of high achieving and, and again, whatever way that shows up. I think that's especially important to remember that sleep is like repairing, you know, it's repairing, it's helping it helping us make connections that filter into our day. In fact, I was I, there was some research that I read recently was talking about um, sort of the creative process and how like, for example, a musician will be sitting down to write a piece of music and they get stuck and they, or they're practicing a piece of music and they get stuck and then they go to sleep and the next day they can play it beautifully because their brain has had a chance to sort of, you know, synthesize that information, what they've learned during the day. And that doesn't happen if we're sleep deprived.
1: Exactly. Like there's some house cleaning that happens. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. Um, and, and that's why, yeah, I think if nothing else, if you can't get anything else sorted, get your sleep sorted. And, and I, I find that certainly for me and I would say for many of my clients that once you get that sorted, a lot of the other things kind of fall into place. Well, now you understand why I'm obsessed about my kids' sleep. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I think you're on the right track. Who cares if it's like a control attempt? Whatever. It's helping them out. <laughs> helps my marriage, helps my sanity, helps it them. It does. It totally, and as your friend, I appreciate it too, because you're pleasant to be around. <laughs> Although I don't think I've ever, oh yeah, no, I've seen you sleep deprived. You're still fine. You're still fine. Yeah, so so I have one final question and this, it feels like such a cliche in some respects, but I do love to ask people what your thoughts are about sort of the idea of work-life balance. Like, is it real? Is it a myth? I mean, I know what I think, but <laughs> I like to get other people's opinions around that. What are your thoughts on work-life balance?
1: Yeah, you wrote a great piece about work-life integration.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah, I guess that was a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you already know my philosophy and maybe I some of the people the listening.
1: Yeah, great, great article. <laughs> Like, what does that even mean, right? Is it like, oh, your um, hours are equally divided between work and real life, and work is not real life, and
0: um, totally.
1: <laughs> but this is how I'm, I'm working backwards. This is how I think of it. I, you're probably familiar with um, that hospice palliative care nurse who wrote the that piece that went viral. The oh, yes, of the dying. Yeah. And the number one regret was I didn't live a life that was true to myself. I mm-hmm. life according to other people's expectations. Yeah. And so I think about that question a lot. And and so then knowing that work backwards how do I want my life to look? And that doesn't necessarily mean that each day is the same because they're not, but recognizing my values in life, that my career does matter and my family and children and my friends and my well-being and health like all that matters and also recognizing that I, this seems so obvious, but I think we often deny this fact that we can't be in two places at once. Yeah. So there are times where, yes, I've got more energy focus on a talk I'm giving or something at work. And there's, you know, less time with failure than I would like. And then, you know, the next week, it could be different. Um, so just seeing it not as like a, a balanced day necessarily, but just looking at the the days and the weeks and the months and does that reflect, you know, um, your values and, and making choices. You know, there are trade-offs because again, we can't be at two places at once.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's really, I, I actually think that's a really lovely place to end because I, it kind of frames all of the stuff that we've been talking about and, and helping people get clear on what they want their life to look like in the long term. Just to end, what's sort of next for you? What are you excited about? Yeah. Anything that's that's coming up that you want to tell people about?
1: Yeah. I am working on getting certified as a yoga teacher.
0: Oh, that's right. Yay. Yay.
1: Yay. I'm excited about that just to learn more about that and to add that in my toolbox. And, and honestly, I talk about something besides nutrition.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> I get it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that and just help people get into their bodies and, um, and talk about uh, whatever is getting me excited.
0: That's great. I can't wait to, to see how you bring that all together. And where can people, if they want to learn more about mindful nutrition, where can they do that?
1: Yes. Check out my website, mindfulnutritionseattle.com.
0: Thank you so much, Benhai. This was such a great conversation. Like I want to talk for like a whole other hour and keep going, but but I will end things here and just uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was fun. That's it for this week's episode of Women on the Rise. Visit laradolchcom slash podcast for show notes and resources mentioned in this episode. You can download other episodes of this podcast and subscribe in the iTunes store. If you liked what you heard, I so appreciate your reviews and recommendations because they help me reach as many Women on the Rise as possible. This episode was produced by me with editing help from Dave Nelson at Lens Group Media. Tune in every week for new interviews that give you the practical tools you need to recapture your momentum, mind, body, and soul. The Riveter is a work and collaborative space built for change makers, but it's not just a desk. It's a transformative movement for all women and allies to succeed. The Riveter is a movement because it believes that everyone can have a seat at the table and access to opportunities. The organization knows that wellness and professional development can be incorporated into the daily lives of working women everywhere, and the space and events are developed to support that. It's a co-working space with purpose. The Riveter now has two locations in Seattle, and the momentum isn't stopping anytime soon. Next year, look out for a Riveter in Bellevue. Then the Riveter arrives in California and Texas. Stay up to date with them on Facebook and Instagram or at theriveter.co.